All right, hello everyone, and welcome to the live cast. This is episode two, and I'm your host, Mark Wolfenbarger. And today we are going to be starting a new series. Um, we're going to be uh, looking at Genesis 11 or Genesis 1 through chapter. 11. And so if you're not familiar with what what is Genesis? Genesis is the first book in the Bible. And I, I don't know about you, but but for me Genesis 1 through 11, the first 11 chapters of the Bible are some of the most interesting, insightful passages in all of scripture. And maybe for you, you're like, "Really? The Bible? We're going to be talking about the Bible?" And I and I get that if you know, this isn't a this isn't a podcast simply for people of faith, but this is something that uh, I want to to give to everyone. And so I, I get it if you if you don't have a faith or you're not the religious type, that's fine, because I still believe there's insights and wisdom that can be found um, in these passages. And so we're going to be looking at Genesis chapter one today, and the title of this episode is called Original Blessing. And so, a couple of thoughts before we even begin all of this. First off, there can be a lot of controversy around passages in the Bible. And there's there's a number of different ways to read the Bible. And, and so, a lot of times, at least in our culture, the way that people approach these stories that we're going to explore for the next several weeks can be very toxic, can lead to all kinds of different arguments. And there are different ways to actually approach the story, if you will. And so one way to simply approach these stories is from kind of the surface or external kind of level. Just kind of read the story as it is and take it as it is. And because it's an ancient story, a lot of times it raises all these kinds of questions like how is this even possible and all those types of things. And so you can read these passages simply on the surface level, but when you start to read these on the surface level, what can happen is you begin finding yourself in arguments with other people on, is this even a possibility? Did God really even do these types of things? And to be quite honest with you, I'm not even one bit interested in those kinds of conversations. I, whether you come to the scriptures in faith and believing in the supernatural, or if you come to it um, from the opposite end of the spectrum, to be quite honest with you, that's fine with me because I, I still believe that there's something that can be found in the midst of it all. Also, as we look at Genesis 1 through 11, I want you to, to think about the idea that this is a continuing story of the revealing of the human dilemma that is wrestling with some primary existential, if you will, questions that the author is addressing. And those questions being questions like this, like, why am I here? You know, I, I often find myself in conversations with people about, you know, what is life about? Why are we here? Am I an accident? And, and so I think that these passages are addressing that kind of question. Another question, like, what am I supposed to be doing with my life? Does my life have meaning? How do I, if it does have meaning, well, how do I figure out what that is? I think that these passages are addressing that. And, and then one big one that we always are asking ourselves is like, why is there pain and suffering in this world? And is there an answer for it? And is there a restoration or, or reconciliation that we can find in the midst of it? And so I, I believe that these passages, these 
stories are addressing those issues. And so for the next several weeks, we're going to be, going to be exploring some of those things. But to get started, uh, I want to tell you a story. And so in about 2008, Amber, we, we got pregnant with Annabelle. And so we were living in this house and it was only a two bedroom and we realized that we are out we have outgrown this this house and so we started looking for somewhere else to live and and we found the house that we live in now and so when we we entered into it as a um, land contract and it was going to be a fixer upper and so i remember when we first kind of came and was looking at the house i thought to myself man we we need to run from this house as fast as possible but Amber saw the character in it. She saw um, things about it that she really liked, and she thought, "Hey, well, let's let's do this." And so we we bought this fixer upper. And when we first when we first purchased this, it wasn't even that you could even live in it. So we were staying at Amber's parents' house for a time, and I would come here every day and would work on different things. I would repl- replace. Um, like the ceiling, like in my our bedroom and Evan's bedroom, I had to put up new drywall and hang ceiling fans and and do the plumbing and and put in a bathroom and all these different things. And I remember one day we were, I was in Annabelle's room. She wasn't even born yet, but I was in Annabelle's room, and we had picked out the color scheme for her bedroom, and so it was these browns and these pinks, and we had these sheets that had elephants on it that matched the colors. And I remember painting this pink wall and all of a sudden having kind of this moment where I realized like this, like God created the world that we live in for us. Like he worked and was preparing it for us so that we could live here, so that we could um, have a place to enjoy and I remember having that thought, like, wow, this is, I'm, I'm working on this bedroom so that my daughter will have a beautiful place to, to live, to sleep, to rest when she gets here. And just having that connection, that thought. The Bible begins with this story, this poem, with, where God is getting the world ready for something. He's creating the heavens and the earth for his kids. Now, when I say that the Bible, the beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, is a poem, I'm not saying that there is this rhythm or this rhyme to it like we understand in Western poetry. But there is this Near Eastern structure, a chiastic structure or parallelism that you find in, in this writing. So Genesis chapter 1, it begins like this. It says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. The imagery there of the hovering over the waters is like a hen hovering over her chicks. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good and separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. God begins 
the, the creation begins with this formless, this emptiness, this in many ways, you can think of these words or some ways that these words can be translated is that there's this primordial chaos that God's spirit is hovering over and that God begins creation by bringing order to the chaos. On the first day, God separates the light from the darkness. He says, let there be light. And there's this explosion that takes place of creative energy. On day two, God separates then the waters above from the waters below, and he creates a vault or the sky, if you will. And so the first day is about separating light from darkness. The second day is about separating the waters from the sky. And then the third day is about separating the waters from the dry land. And so in the first three days of this creation story, God is separating things. As he separates the waters from the dry land on day three, vegetation begins to grow on the land. But then there's this switch or there's this change that takes place on day four. Because where God has been separating things for the last three days, he then begins to fill what he has separated. And so on day four, he fills the sky with the sun and the moon and the stars. On day five, he fills the, the water in the sky with the fish of the sea and the birds of the air. And then on day six, he creates animals to fill the ground, the earth. Which then leads us to the creation of mankind. In verse 26 of chapter 1, it says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image and in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the crea creatures that move along the ground. And so God created mankind in his own image, and in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food and to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw that he, what he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. And by the seventh day, God had finished the work that he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all of his work. And then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, he rested from all of the work of creating that he had done. And so God creates this place for us to inhabit, for us to live, for us to take care of, for us to cultivate. And he then places us in this creation as he prepared it for us. Now, a couple of thoughts. I, I don't know about you, but that's just amazing writing, by the way. 
But a couple of thoughts about this. First off, the first hearers of this passage were a particular group of people who had been slaves in Egypt for around 400 years. Now, this is an interesting and important thing to understand. Because for the, the, the first Israelites, the people of God, for them, in slavery in Egypt, there, had, there were a number of gods that the Egyptians worshipped. And so they worshipped the sun, the, which is known as Ra. They worshipped the moon god. They worshipped the Nile, which was the, the main river that ran through Egypt that would flood every year, that would then make the soil rich so that then there could be crops. And they also worshipped the pharaoh, who was the kind of the leader, the leader over the king of, of Egypt, and who was the one who enslaved these people. And so, if you're growing up as an Israelite slave, if you're growing up in slavery, one of the major questions I imagine that you would have is, are the gods okay with us being slaves? Could you imagine having your children and your kids asking you, Daddy, why are we slaves? Why are the Egyptian children free but we have to work. And, and how would you even answer that question? And, and so for the first hearers of the story, this passage is unbelievable. It's revolutionary because in this passage, essentially what the writer is saying, hey, in Egypt, they worship the sun, they worship the moon, they worship the stars. But the reality is, is that our God actually created all of those things, that they're just here to guide the day and the night. And so it's this understanding that, no, you were not created to be a slave. No, you were created to represent me, that you were created in my image. And so this passage is revolutionary when it comes to understanding identity and significance, especially for the first hearers, because it's not about what you do. It's about who you are, which leads to a second thought. In Egypt, for these Israelites, their self-worth and significance came from what they did. And so, if they met their quota of bricks for the day, then apparently that would bring some sort of self-worth to their life. But if they didn't meet their quota, then they would be, I imagine, punished, whipped for, for not meeting the, the needs of the Pharaoh. But in this story, God creates them and he blesses them and he calls them to represent him, but then he invites them to rest with him on the seventh day. Their first day of existence is the sixth day. And then their first day, like in the world, stepping out into what God's called them to is actually resting with God on the seventh day. And so their self-worth and their significance doesn't come from what they produce like it did in Egypt, but it comes simply from who they are. Which then leads to kind of a next thought. They are blessed, and then they are, are called to represent God. There is this relationship and this responsibility that's taking place in the midst of of the story, and that six times in this passage, God says that it is good, but after creating humanity, He says 
that it is very good. Which brings me kind of to the main thought here. In verse 28, it says that God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. It says that God blessed them. Like the first word spoken over humanity is a blessing. That God blessed them, which means he has blessed you. He has blessed me. The first word over your life is blessing. Now, for many people, that's not the first word. For many religious people, that's not the first word. For many Christian people, blessing is not the first word because we're sinners, right? For most of us, our our understanding of faith is, hey, you're a sinner. You deserve to, to burn in hell. Trust Jesus so that you cannot burn in hell. And so that... I don't know about you, but that can be crippling if my my understanding is that I'm a broken mess. And it's not to say that we don't make mistakes. It doesn't. It's not to say that we don't fall short of the glory of God. But it is to say that the first word spoken over your life is a blessing. And maybe this is why Jesus starts his Sermon on the Mount with what is known as the Beatitudes, where he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Even when you don't feel like you are blessed, you are blessed, and that the kingdom of heaven is yours. Maybe this is why he says, even when you are mourning, you are still blessed. Even those that are meek, you are blessed. Those who are hunger and thirst for righteousness, you are blessed. Those who are merciful, you are blessed. Those who are pure in heart are blessed. Those who are peacemakers, you're even blessed. Those who are persecuted for righteousness, you're even blessed. I think what Jesus is getting at is he's tapping into this original blessing of understanding that even when you don't feel like it, you are still blessed. Now, why is this important? The reason I believe this is important is because what you believe to be true about yourself will always directly affect the way that you live your life. What I, what I believe about me is going to directly affect the way that I live in this world. And it's understanding that the first word spoken over humanity, the first word spoken over your life is a blessing. Which leads us to a couple of implications for all of this. First off, it's remembering that you're blessed. It's understanding that you are accepted, that you are loved, that you belong, that you are significant, that your life matters, that you're a blessing, that God created this place for you. And it's learning how to to continually lean into that and receive that, that we are loved and accepted, that it's grace, all grace. Secondly, when we begin to, to lean into this understanding, this begins to fundamentally change the way that we see other people. 
Because if I'm blessed and I'm accepted and I am loved and I've been created in the image of God, guess what that means? That means that's true for everybody that you see. And so the way that then I interact with other people, it should be affected by the way that I understand who I am in relationship with God. To give you an example, like I hate it when my children fight with one another. And oftentimes they'll call me to pick a side and I can't pick a side because I love them both equally. And I think that that's perhaps the way that God sees us. Like he, he loves us all equally and so he doesn't want us to pick sides. He doesn't want us to lash out at one another. He's calling us to peace and to unity. And it's learning how to, to love one another, which leads us to third thought. One of, one of the key things in Scripture is understanding that we are blessed to be a blessing. Like when God calls Abraham, that he calls him and he says, I'm going to bless you so that through you I can bless all of the nations. Blessing is never simply for ourselves, but it's, for, it's to be sent, it's to be shared. Blessing is about learning to embrace what God has, the gift of grace that he has. It's learning how to experience it, and then it's learning how to extend it to other people. Which leads to the question, well, how do we do this? How do we learn to live in this? I think the key is actually found in the command. God blesses them, but then he says to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Now, you can think about that on the surface level, like simply, hey, just reproduce, right? But I think there's something deeper going on. He's, he's calling us to be fruitful. And for us to be fruitful, for a branch to be fruitful, it needs to, be, it needs to stay connected to the vine or to the root, which leads us to Jesus. In John 15, he says this to his disciples. He says, I'm the vine, and you are the branches, and if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. And, and so if we're going to be fruitful, and if we're going to learn to live in this original blessing where we're extending this blessing to other people, as we're reproducing our relationship with God with other people and extending this grace, then it, it calls for us then to stay connected to the vine, to stay connected to the one who gives the blessing. One, one of the ways that I think about it is like this. Like when my son was learning how to walk, we were on vacation. And, and, and so we took him down on the beach and there's all of the sand and there's the water. And he was just super excited about being on the beach and being able to walk on the beach on his own. And so he would take off. But then he would have this moment where he realized that like he was he was separated from us or he had he had walked away from us at a distance. And so he would turn around and he would run back. And as he would run back, we would encourage him. And as we encouraged him, it actually built up courage in his in him to turn back around and to go and to explore. And there was this back and forth of him exploring and running and learning how to, to, to wobble on those new legs. And then this turning around and coming back and, and, and making sure that we were still there. And I, I think that that's how we learn to live this life. 
is that there has to be this back and forth. There has to be these times where we we extend and bless and share our lives with other people, but then we have to have these rhythms in our life where we where we return and abide and rest in Jesus. And so this raises the question, like, how, how do I begin to live this out? And I don't know what that looks like for you. That's it's your life. It's your journey. What I would simply say is this, is how does this invite you or how does this challenge you to live differently? In what ways do you need to be reminded that you've been blessed? And so think about those things and... We'll continue this journey next week. And so next week, we're going to look at um, part two and, and the idea that being a human being is a paradox. We're this dirt flesh that's been given this divine breath. And so we're going to explore those things next week. And so let me read to you a blessing that comes from the Old Testament. And may you, even right now, perhaps just open your hands and receive this. It comes from Numbers chapter 6. This was a blessing read over the priests and then was read over newborn children from the Jewish community. And it says this, May the Lord bless you and keep you. And may the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. And so receive that blessing, understand that you are blessed, and begin to live it out. Blessings to you guys. We'll see you next week.